Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, here to break down the Texas Rangers system with you today. And to do that, we're joined by Ben Babler, who has covered the Rangers for us here at Baseball America for as long as I've been here and probably well before that. Ben, the Rangers are moving into a new ballpark. There's a lot of excitement surrounding that. This is also a club, however, that is coming off its third straight losing season. They made some additions in the offseason to the pitching staff. Trading for Corey Kluber obviously was the big one. Signing Kyle Gibson and Jordan Lyles. But they went after some big fish. Josh Donaldson, Anthony Rendon did not get them. Where do you kind of see this franchise right now? Because, again, there's a lot of excitement moving into the new ballpark. They overperformed relative to expectations last year, staying competitive decently into the season and finishing with 78 wins. I think a lot of people thought this team would be a 60-some-odd win team. Is this team close to competing? And and just where are they as they kind of start this new decade in their new ballpark? I think they're in this, like, weird middle ground where I, I don't see them as an obvious contender this year. I, I think they're hoping to contend, and I think they have a chance to get to the playoffs. I mean, they've certainly bolstered their pitching staff, but they badly needed to bolster that pitching staff. But they, you know, you're you're, you're looking at a team that's had three straight seasons under 500, and I, you know, I think they have a chance to crack that this year. But again, I don't see them as an obvious uh, playoff contender for for 2020. And at the same time, the farm system. You know, we're, we're, again, talking about a team that's had a losing team for at the major league level for three straight years. It's, you know, it's an okay farm system. I, I think there's certainly depth there. But if, if you've had that many seasons of being under 500 in a row at the big league level, usually you, you would hope that you would have a like a top 10 type farm system. I mean – I think that the Dodgers are, you know, maybe an exception to the rule, but, you know, this is a team that, that that's an example of a team that's, you know, been successful at the major league level and also has this really stacked farm system too. Whereas the Rangers are sort of at this like weird middle grounds, both at the, the major league level and, and then the farm system too. And, and kind of tying into that is they're just not, you know, I, th- I think Nick Solak certainly is going to, um, be somebody who can help them in 2020, but there's also not a ton of other options at the upper level of like major league ready guys who can be impact kind of guys for them. 
Yeah, and that's actually, I'm really glad you brought that point up. Uh, in the course of working on our Major League season preview, I looked into it, and the Rangers last year finished in the bottom half of the majors in batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage, despite the fact they played in one of the most hitter-friendly parks in the major leagues. And as you mentioned, you look at this farm system, it's not like there's a lot coming up to help. Again, we saw Nick Solak make his debut last year. He certainly helped. He's still a prospect. But you look at, you know, Josh Young, Sam Huff. These are guys in the lower levels, the minors still. Leody Tavares, there's been a lot of will he, won't he, and what kind of player is he going to be. There's not like these impact bats ready to come up. And I think that for me, when I look at this Rangers team, big picture, I have a hard time seeing them competing, not just in 2020, but maybe even 2021. Am I off base there? Uh, I mean, I, I think a lot can change come 2021. I, I think they can compete for, or I, I, I wouldn't rule out, I wouldn't rule them out competing in, in 2020. Uh, but to 2021, I mean, th- they have, there's just so much that can change in terms of free agent signings, trades. Uh, some of these guys are going to get closer to the major league level, and, and some of them will get closer to the major leagues, you know, guys who are um, in A ball, and, and some will get closer, and, and we'll, we'll realize, oh, actually, maybe this guy's not, <laughs> uh, you know, as, as good as expected, and, and other guys will exceed expectations. Um, and, and they have a whole bunch of guys where um, I really like the depth that they have, especially at the lower levels of the system uh, relative to other clubs. So I think there's a lot of guys who can uh, either break out or would have trade value where you could package them uh, in a, in a 2021 deal. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you're looking at Nick Solak and, you know, I think Joe Palumbo maybe could, could help him in the back of the rotation, but uh, you know, like you know, Taylor Hearn, Brock Burke, like there's just not, a ton of other like I don't think Leody Tavares is going to be ready to be an everyday guy come 2020, and, and there's certainly some questions about um, whether that ever happens with him. But uh, but yeah, I, I think there's there's just not going to be a lot of help coming from the farm in uh, at least in 2020. Diving into that system, Josh Young and Sam Huff were the numbers one and two prospects. We talked about this a lot in the leading up process uh, to the prospect handbook publishing date. This system, how difficult was it to narrow down who the number one prospect in this system is? Both of them finished uh, in the top 100. However, they're both in the 90s, pretty close together. How many players would you say ultimately were in the running for this number one spot? And how close was it? Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting system because I, again, I, I like some of the the depth that they have, but it's a pretty flat system in terms of the spread and talent or or the gap between uh, players from one through like 10 to even 15. I I mean, I, I, you know, I think it's a bigger gap maybe towards the top, but I mean, yeah, whether it's Josh Young or uh, Sam Huff, I, I think you can make a case for either of those two guys being number one. Uh, probably wouldn't go with with Leody Tavares at number one, but um, you know a twenty year old in Double A who plays plus defense at a premium position and uh, has speed and and does not swing and miss excessively. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of questions about how much impact is is in that bat, but I think he's a pretty interesting guy if, if you really value more the 
proximity to the major leagues and or you have a lot more questions about those top three guys, I think you could make a case for, for Nick Solak at number one. And uh, truthfully, I, I consider Maximo Acosta at, at number one, too, just because I, I think you could – I think you could make a case for him over Josh Jung. Now, I, you know, obviously didn't go that, and I, I think there's – as much as I love Maximo Acosta, and I do love him quite a bit, clearly, um, you know, I, I think just the three years of track record uh, with, with Jung and, and obviously zero track record outside of uh, just some tricky league and um, Dominican instructs with, with Acosta um, is, uh, you know, that, that makes just, just basically a little bit more pause. But, you know, he's, he's somebody where, if we're talking a year from now, I would not be surprised if he's the number one guy in the system. And, you know, you go even, well, like a guy like Hans Krauts, who, who obviously was the number one guy in the system a year ago, uh, very easily, like I, I could see him being the same way where he could be the number one guy in, in the system next year. I think this year he had some issues with his elbow and that kind of took a toll on, on his stuff. So it's, it's hard to, hard to know what to make of that. But I, I think, you know, all of those six guys, I, I don't think there's like a huge gap, uh, you know, among, among any of them. And with that, what made Josh Young the pick at number one and what kind of player is he? I just, I, I think the, just the overall balance of, of his, of his skill set, his upside and, and his risk. I mean, I think somebody like, you know, Maximo Acosta probably has more upside. Um, I think somebody like Nick Solak, you know, you obviously have the, the proximity to the major leagues and, and that has value. Uh, but with Jung, you have somebody who, uh, I, I mean, I, I think there's upside there for him to be an above average everyday guy at, at third base, I don't see him as somebody who projects to be a, uh, you know, a superstar type guy by any means. But I, I think you you have a pretty good track record of him uh, in college of of hitting. It's it's a pretty advanced bat, pretty uh, pretty calm, pretty balanced at the plate, a pretty short swing. The question with him, I think, more is the the power. Um, you know, it's definitely more hit over, over power profile, but I, I think that there's, I, I think there's enough strength in there for him to be, uh, well, it's hard to say with, <laughs> depending on, on the baseball, but you know, a 2025 type home run guy who can play pretty good, uh, you know, or pr pretty solid defense at, uh, at third base, I think on balance, it's a it's a pretty solid profile for a guy who has a chance to be, if everything goes right, an above average everyday guy at third base. Sam Huff came in at number two. This was one of the fastest risers in the Rangers system this past year to the point some scouts who had Rangers coverage felt that he was potentially the number one guy in the system and very clearly preferred him over some bigger names like Leody Tavares. How much discussion was there for Huff at number two? and Again, a lot of power, good athlete for his size, one MVP of the Futures game for his game-tying home run that forced extra innings and ultimately resulted in a tie. 
what kind of player are the Rangers looking at here and what are the positives as well as the potential red flags? Yeah, I think what you said is, is definitely true. And there's uh, it, he's, he's a big split camp guy, I think, because he, it's, it's a really uh, – it's an unusual profile starting with, you know, being a 6'4 catcher. Uh, but he – I think what's, what's clear is, is his – what I don't think is a, a split camp is his defense got significantly better – last season I think there were a lot of questions about his ability to to stay at the position long term uh not because of his arm strength he, he has a cannon arm but uh the his ability to improve on uh, his receiving his his ability to block pitches his footwork uh that all took major steps forward uh in in 2019 and then he has a he's a he just has a great arm too throughout forty eight percent of base runners. So all right, now you have a guy who I mean, there's no question either on his power. I mean that's uh, it's it's seventy raw power. Um, so there's you know you have a guy who who can catch, who can control the running game, who has huge huge power. The the big split camp on him I think is. Uh, the the pure hitting ability and, and the offensive approach. I mean, you saw last year he he went back to Hickory, started there uh, to kind of repeat the level early on, and and just clobbered the league there. And then when he moved up to uh, to down east, he you know he was solid there, but you could see some more of the chase tendencies getting him into into trouble. Um, some some issues covering the the inner third of the plate, I think, too. Uh, just being six four, long arms. Um, so there's there, there's definitely some some holes there. I'd, I'd like to see him tighten up the strike zone discipline. Uh, and, and if you uh, you know for for some for some evaluators, and, and I'm probably more in this camp. I'm a little bit more skeptical on his ability to um, improve that element of of his game going forward I, I have concerns about that at the upper levels but you know if he does you're talking about a a catcher who can shut down the running game and has a chance to hit 30 plus home runs so there's and, and he's a good athlete there's there's pretty considerable upside for him if everything uh can break right for him and again, it goes back to with both Young and Huff, the Rangers right now are a team that needs good, solid, everyday players. You look at their third base situation. They went out and signed Todd Frazier this year. They're still not really a long-term shortstop in the system. Well, I should say someone who you can project confidently right now in terms of anywhere near full season ball. Um, you just right. have Elvis Anders is still there. So any pieces the Rangers can get are beneficial. And I think it's important to remember that while Young and Huff might not project as these impact player all-stars, if you get two really good everyday regulars out of your top two prospects, that's something good. It's something the Rangers need. With that, Leody Tavares came in at number three. What's the process for evaluating a kid like this? Again, he came in with a lot of hype. He was very, very young at every level he's been at. But the performance in recent years has ranged from not very good to just okay. And evaluators that have waited to see him grow into his body, start impacting the baseball, it just has never really happened. Again, he was okay at double-A Frisco last year, but not great by any means. 
How do you evaluate a guy like this? And ultimately, what keeps him up still as one of the top five prospects in the system after, frankly, three years of middling to well below average performance? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when, when guys like him are, are pushed very aggressively, uh, I think that that context is important to, uh, to keep in mind with, with him. But at the same time, he he does he, he needs to get he, he needs to show the ability to to drive the ball with more impact. It's it, he doesn't struggle to uh, to put the ball in play. I mean he it, it's not an elite contact rate or anything like that, but he he has pretty solid bat to ball skills. Um, but uh, you know I, I think he was somebody when you know when, when you're watching him when he was you know 16, 17 years old. You're seeing a guy with uh, you know, he's got, he's not like a shrimpy guy, but he means, I mean, he's six one, he's got, uh, strong hands and, and forearms and has these indicators of, of a guy who, who should get strong and, and be able to, to drive the ball with more impact. We just haven't seen it yet. And, and 20 is, you know, he's still, or, you know, he just turned 21, obviously after the season, but for a guy who was just coming, just coming off his age, 20 season, He's still young, but at this point, yeah, I mean, you, you would like to see more impact from him when he when he does connect. Uh, the the good thing with him, obviously, is you know plus defense at a premium position, so you have some some safety net type tools there to to add value. Or even if he's you know a little bit below league average as a hitter, you, you still have a pretty good player there somebody who has the potential to be uh an everyday guy because of how much defensive value he brings at a at a premium position so uh, you know he's, he's somebody where i, I don't uh, just i'd actually like to see him repeat double a play there as a 21 year old and get a uh, a better sense of of what he's you know of, of where he's at um and, and it, at, at that point but yeah, I mean, he definitely draws kind of the reaction you were talking about before where it's like, yeah, like there's there's some good things there, but uh, I think a lot of scouts still just – they want to see more from him for being able to uh, buy him just yet as, as, a, as an everyday guy in center field. Obviously, I'm still holding out some hope there, ranking him number three ahead of a guy like Nick Solak who has gotten to the majors, shown he can hit there. Maximo Acosta, who you mentioned, you're very, very high on. Hans Kraus, who, even though he's number six, was the number one prospect last year and received some consideration for that even this year. After this top six, you follow up with Joe Palumbo, who touched the majors last year, and then a group of lower-level players. The 7-10 to 10 group, was this very clearly the 7-10, to 10, or were there a lot of different names in the mix? Take us through that process. No, no, and that's what I was talking about before, which is the depth of the system, like, like the you know we talked about like the top guys in the system, but yeah, really from like uh, you know six or seven through like shoot I don't know like fifteen, <laughs> you could very reasonably go um, in a bunch of a bunch of different directions. I mean, you've got yeah, like, you know the younger younger guys like uh, like a Luis Angel Acuna who has a you know obviously some pro experience or. Byron Laura, who who doesn't have any pro experience yet, you you've got some of the the young arms in the system: Ronnie Enriquez, uh, Ricky Venasco, uh, Cole Wynn. 
some of these guys, you know, guys who have a chance to be starters at the lower levels who I think if you add, you know, a bunch of different scouts on them, you get lined up a, a bunch of different ways. Uh, Shirt and Apostle is a, a really interesting guy. We'll, we'll see if he stays at third base or, or has to go to first, but uh, pretty big, big power uh, from him. And, and you got a bunch of interesting guys, again, more at the lower levels too, and, and guys like Oslavis Pasabe or, or Davis Wenzel. Um, Eriberto Hernandez, uh, Keith Ron Moss, like they, they have a bunch of those interesting guys at the lower level. So I don't think there was like an obvious group to go in, in the back of the top 10. I, I think you can very reasonably go a bunch of different ways, but, um, you know, for, you know, for me, especially with like Luis Angel Acuna, uh, I really, really like his bad and, uh, middle of the diamond athleticism and, uh, you know, whether it's shortstop or, or second base or center field, I'm, I'm not sure yet, but uh, I really liked his ability to play somewhere in the middle of diamonds uh, and, and hit and, and control the strike zone and uh, drive the ball with some uh, surprising impact for uh, for somebody who's, you know, maybe five foot eight. <laughs> you mentioned this depth, and one thing that really stood out to me, I went and saw the Don Welke on deck classic featuring uh, Rangers prospects and Padres prospects both in 2018 and last year in 2019. The 2018 team had a lot of guys who were kind of more famous names. It was Leonie Tavares, it was JP Martinez, it was Anderson Tejeda. It was a lot of famous names, but to be honest, they really all underwhelmed. Just a lot of guys you expected to see more from and didn't really see it. I was concerned about it. As opposed to this year's group, where it was a lot of guys who were not super well-known, a couple guys who had been pop-up types like Heriberto Hernandez, Cody Freeman, who was a recent fourth round draft pick. And I got to be honest, this year's team struck me as a better team with better players than a lot of the guys who were on the previous year's team that were supposed to be better prospects, but weren't. And, and I think that speaks to the depth this Rangers system has. Uh, their AZL team won the AZL championship this year. I feel like there's a group of players here who aren't really that known yet. They're all in rookie ball. They're not all going to make it. But I actually feel better about the Rangers farm system this year after seeing that than I did last year when I saw all these guys who were supposed to be guys who just frankly weren't all that great. Yeah, I think the the depth that they have, and it's, you know, I think anytime, you know, you, you cover a, a farm system on the, like you're ranking their top 30 prospects or, you know, you're that, you know, or, or you work for the club, for example, like clubs always sort of overrate their own, uh, depth to a certain extent, and especially at the lower levels, and um, you know the, the warts maybe haven't been exposed yet on on a lot of these players. But I, I think even just just the Rangers at the lower level, uh, the quality and kind of depth of prospects that they have at the lower levels relative to other clubs jumps out to me as as being above what what most clubs have. And, and yeah, like you said, it's you know a lot of these guys will by the time they get to, to Hickory or, or you may maybe even a little bit above that will sort of uh, weed themselves out a bit. And then some of these guys will be able to, to make that jump. But just the, I, I think the, both the quality and, and quantity of, of players that the Rangers have at the lower levels is, is above what, uh, what, what most clubs have in uh, at that level. 
yeah, you know, put some potential solid guys at the top, uh, some really intriguing guys in the lower levels. And there's definitely reasons to be optimistic. It's just going to be a matter of if the Rangers can kind of make it all work. I feel like you and I have talked about this every single year we've done this podcast about the Rangers. They had what was, without really any competition, the most successful stretch in franchise history at the start of the decade. Five playoff appearances in seven seasons, back-to-back World Series appearances, the first World Series appearances in the franchise's history. And as we've talked about, you ask any Rangers fan, hey, you're going to have this kind of stretch. The trade-off is the next three, four, five years are going to be in last place or under 500. Every Rangers fan in the world would have taken that trade-off. It just feels like, though, after three straight losing seasons, potentially another one coming up, not an elite farm system, maybe the patience is starting to wane a little bit. What would be your kind of your, your overall message about where this, this system is and how likely it is to be what pushes them over the top? Yeah, I think it just kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's, it's, it's not great. It's not terrible. It's like somewhere in this weird middle territory where, uh, you know, you, you would hope that after this many seasons that the, the system would be a top, 10 type farm system it's just it's not there it's just not there right now and anyway and in some fairness too it's like you know the one thing we haven't talked about with them is that this has also been I think by far the most injury ravaged farm system in uh in in the game I mean they're too uh you know we we you know I don't know what would happen if like Owen White and Mason Englert had been healthy you know those were two of their top 2018 draft picks, uh, Cole Reagan's uh, second Tommy John surgery. He's, he's going to miss another year. Um, they've had all kinds of injuries, both on the pitching side, uh, on the position player side, like Chris Dice, uh, who just, I mean, cannot stay healthy, unfortunately. Um, um, Anderson Tejeda, uh, another big uh, guy who's, you know, who lost most of the year with, with an injury. So uh, this, this is also a system that is, uh, you know, I, I know they've switched up a lot of things in terms of uh, uh, their, their pitching development and, and just player development in, in general, obviously. Uh, but I, I think a lot of it probably is also just bad luck in, in a lot of these cases. So um, I think injuries have definitely taken a toll on, on the Rangers farm system more than most clubs. I mean, even a guy like Hans Kraus, who was, you know, pitch, who was, who, who was, you know, he didn't miss the season. He didn't have an operation, but he basically was pitching through bone spurs um, during, during the season. And, and that really took a toll on his stuff. So I, I think that's, uh, that's a factor to keep in mind uh, with them. But uh, the, the state of the system right now is it's, it's all right. It's uh, you know, like we said, there's, there's depth, but, Again, like there, we don't have a in our top 100. We you know we don't have a top 50 prospect uh, for the Rangers, and I don't think there was any like you know we didn't really consider any of them for for the top 50, right? No, not really. Uh, again, though, I do want to hit on something you made the point of this Rangers farm system, which is absolutely obliterated with injuries. Uh, it was one of the headlines of the season for them, really. As you mentioned, Owen White, Mason Angler, Cole Reagan's Tommy John surgery, Taylor Hearn, Yerry Rodriguez had season-ending elbow injuries. AJ Alexi didn't pitch in the regular season after May 1st. Oh, 
Blackstreet. Bubba Thompson. Bubba Thompson, I forgot too. Yeah, Bubba Thompson <laughs> yeah, is the first half of the Broken the Hammett, Anderson DeHeda, Chris Sice. And despite all that, the Rangers had the highest combined winning percentage in the minor leagues uh, of any organization in baseball this year, if you include their DSL affiliates. Their five lowest affiliates all made the playoffs in their respective leagues. They won the AZL championship. Low Class A Hickory reached the South Atlantic League finals. So I will say they showed some real ability to kind of persevere. Again, even in that on-deck classic at Petco Park, it was Rangers lower-level guys, short-season guys almost exclusively, facing Padres full-season guys, and the Rangers won 10-2. to So I think there's something to be said for the perseverance these kids have shown, and maybe that will help them rise and rise quicker than people expect and get the Rangers back to uh, contention. Yeah, you, uh, yeah, you hope that uh, a lot of these guys who – who had all these injuries can uh, come back. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like White and uh, Angler at, at some point this year. Um, and, you know, obviously guys like Thompson and, and Tejeda, uh, you know, two guys where I think injuries really, uh, you know, th- those are two guys you really want to stay healthy just because they have such loud tools, but such major red flags in terms of approach and, things that need to be refined that can really only be refined through through playing games <laughs> so uh, so yeah I think just have having all these guys back uh, you know well you know obviously in Reagan's case he's, he's not coming back healthy this year but having a lot of these guys come back healthy in, in 2020 will just be a, uh, a welcome sign just to see what these guys can actually do when they're healthy and on the field. Absolutely. That'll definitely be an interesting subplot to the Rangers season, how all these guys return. And we'll see if these young players can take steps forward and some of them jump into the top 100 and maybe even jump into the top 50 to give the Rangers that upper tier prospect. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. Oh, always, Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Ben Babler, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.